Retrospect by Ruth Pitter A sylvan place, a distant time, an owlish and an elvish air, the evening and the autumn rhyme, and the rapt creature roaming there. I see, and though I know return is not, and would not have it so, there is a thing that I would learn, there is a secret I would know, which that could tell, if it were kind, which wanders the remembered land, with shreds of legend in its mind, and a few berries in its hand. It looks upon the ragged tree, it broods along the darkening glade, it sees what I no longer see, glories and yearns, and is afraid at something in the smouldering sky, at something in the tangled thorn. In universal mystery it walks enchanted and forlorn. The cloud, the stone, the trembling plant address it in their silent tongue, the treasure of the ignorant, the magic of the hapless young, brim its full soul, and though too weak, the incantation to express, for cloud and stone and leaf to speak, to justify its idleness. It sees what I no longer see, it hears what is to me unheard. If it could only speak to me, shaping the wonder to a word, if it could speak the ancient spell, then I could dress it in a rhyme and tune it like the village bell heard down the darkening glade of time. Oh, would it speak, and would it say, and would it try to understand, or smile aside and turn away with the small berries in its hand? So this is a poem by Ruth Pitter, who was born in 1897 and died in 1992. She is a British poet and uh, until today, uh, when I pulled this poem off the shelf, this is a, from a book of hers which was published in 1945 called The Bridge, a small collection of poetry. And this is probably something, I think I picked this up um, probably in a bookshop somewhere and um, it looked interesting and until now, until today, uh, when I was just searching for a poem to uh, examine a little bit, um, I hadn't read anything or didn't know anything about Ruth. Uh, she was the first woman to receive the Queen's uh, Poetry Award in 1955 and she was also a friend of the writer and poet C.S. Lewis so those are some of her accolades she was well published and started writing poems early on in her life but back to this poem uh, retrospect and let's have a look and see what my impressions of the poem are after reading it several times, which I think is the best way to get the to get an air, to get a feeling of a poem is just to, just to read through it, keep reading through it, and keep letting it sink in, and then you start to get some impressions about what the poet 
may be trying to say. But at the end of the day, poetry, I think, is always a personal thing and it's different for each person what they get out of a poem. So this is what I got out of this poem. So it starts off uh, a sylvan place, a sylvan place, a distant time, an owlish and an elvish air, the evening and the autumn rhyme and the rapt creature roaming there. So, so looking at this, um, sylvan is another word for a forest or wood somewhere secluded in nature. Um, so we're talking about somewhere in the natural world, in a wood, in a distant time, maybe in a, even an ancient time. Something with an owlish and an elvish air. So when you think about owls, you, you obviously think of night. And you also think about the fact that they are, you know, one of their one of their skills is that they can they've got big eyes, they can see, see in the dark. So if you're talking about something that's in the distant past, our ability to see into the distant past is is harboured, is harboured because we're so far from it that we can't see it properly even though we may be trying to see it, we can't see it properly. So I think that's where that, why she's using that, um, that uh, the, the owlish um, theme and the, and the elvish probably, where you think about elves, you think about magical and mythical creatures. And there is kind of, a, you know, when we think about things that are so far in the past, so far gone that they do turn into legends they do turn into you know myths that we that are half true and sort of half not true and so in that sense they do become a little bit magical the evening and the autumn rhyme now rhyme i discovered today and i didn't know this i looked it up rhyme is another word for frost so when we think about frost, frost appears, but it's not permanent. Post, frost is changed by the, um, by the atmosphere. So this, the evening and the autumn rhyme is, is, a, is a time period that is fleeting, that is not permanent. It's, it's there... And then it's not there. It 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 changes. It's something that changes uh, frequently. It's not permanent. Something that's not permanent, and the and the wrapped creature that roams there. So this is this is this is the the creature that I think she's referring to here. Is of course obviously um, it's all a metaphor for retrospect, re retrospective looking back on something on. A, on some sort of time that was far past into the into the ancient times so this creature that lives there is is wrapped is wrapped which is which means to be absorbed in or preoccupied with so when you think about you know looking back 
into the past you can become you can become absorbed in it you can you can let it it can it can absorb you so we're in a secluded dark place with an atmosphere that is myth half truth legend a place that is able to see uh, into the ancient past which is which is fleeting which comes and goes uh, is not permanent but changes with our mood or or the weather or or the natural world and moving on to the second stanza um which follows on straight away from the last line of the first stanza and the rapt creature roaming there i see and though i know return and though i know return is not and would not have it so there is a thing that I would learn. There is a secret I would know. So the person that is writing this from their point of view is thinking about this place in the past and knows that they are not able to go back to that point in time, to revisit it. But, um, and, they, and they probably don't want to go back there. But if they did, if they did have the opportunity to go back, that they might learn something, something, a secret, discover something different, maybe even correct a mistake or change something that didn't perhaps go right, or maybe learn something uh, which they were not aware of about a situation or a subject or a person or something. Uh, and then it carries on, following off from there is a secret I would know, comma, which that could tell if it were kind, which wonders the remembered land with shreds of legend in its mind and a few berries in its hand. So I was wondering about this... this um, this use of berries in its hand and what it could be. First of all, I came. I was thinking about myths. Myths. So, so I looked on the internet and I, looking at myths and came across the fruit, and you know, different fruits are, uh, are used in different uh, fairy tales and different myths and legends as sometimes positive things and sometimes negative things. Uh, sometimes they can be a gift, but in this case, um, maybe the berries are a gift. Maybe it's, well, I wouldn't say it may not may not necessarily be a gift, but it's an in it's a it's an ability to see, an ability to to have a second chance, to have an insight, to 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 learn that secret which has been lost. And I think that's what the berries probably are representing in this in this um, in this stanza. So, which that could tell if it were kind, if if the remembrance, um, or if we were able to look back at this this uh, subject or this whatever it is that this person is thinking about, then if it were kind. And it, and it remem and it rem it wandered the remembered land with shreds of legend in its mind and a few berries in its hand. So, 
The remembered land, the place of the past, which is sometimes not easy to fully bring back into the full light of the present. But if it were so it but if it were, so it would be able to tell its tales, legends that might contain berries, those gifts, those little insights that could change our view of the past um, substantially. It carries on. It looks upon the ragged tree. It broods along the darkening glade. It sees what I no longer see, glories and yearns and is afraid. So it looks upon the ragged tree. Um, it's able to look, with the art of retrospect, with the art of looking back, we're able to look back at a thing that is perhaps decaying or um, dying on its last legs. But at the same time, you're able to see back and see that thing, that place, that person in, a, in, in, in distant times or you know, when they were fully alive, breathing and in their element. Um, they're able to see into a long forgotten past that the person who's writing this poem is not, not able to do anymore. And that may be for a few reasons, maybe because the writer is old, um, that they can't remember, um, that they may have some sort of psychological or mental problem. And it's a kind of magic that it, that it has, that you can have that ability to see if you can remember something as it was. Because normally we do tend to put a slant on things. If we're remembering things, we tend to put them in a, a light which is more, you know, how we would like to, like to imagine how they went and not actually how they really, really happened. It sees both past glories and has a yearning to feel those things that it can no longer experience. And then at the end there it says, glories and yearns and he's afraid and it goes on he's afraid at something in the smouldering sky at something in the tangled thorn in universal mystery it walks enchanted and forlorn so something in the smouldering sky so when you think of smouldering sky a lot of times it will be that the sky is the sun is setting in the sky and it's creating that smouldering kind of red, ready yellow sort of end end of end end of a day type of feel. So signifying there, I think probably in my mind the changing of something, the ending of something, and then the tangled thorn. How I how I think about it is, it could represent trying to trying to put back together the pieces and the shreds of the past to make sense. So it kind of is like a, a tangle of thorns. You're trying to make your way through it. You're trying to un untangle yourself from all of the memories and you're trying to see past those tangles and untangle yourself and trying to you know, get back, get, get to where you can actually be free and see without any, um, uh, without any obstacles. It, it walks enchanted 
under the spell of the past, um, forlorn and lonely. Uh, it's, it's got a sadness to it. It's separated from reality, existing only in the mind and in the things we see around us. It carries on the cloud. Um, this carries on from the last stanza. It walks enchanted and forlorn, comma, the cloud, the stone, the trembling plant, address it in their silent song, silent tongue, the treasure of the ignorant, the magic of the hapless young. So clouds, stone, plant, these things which can are not able to express in a language to us um, their remembrances, their memories, they are ignorant to the spell of the past. They don't have really any sense of the past or the future or the present that we know of anyway. Uh, the young have no reason for retrospective. Um, they don't have any reason because they, they're young and they're carefree and they're not looking back, they're more looking forward. The magic of the hapless young, it carries on, brims its full soul, and though too weak, the incantation to express, for cloud and stone and leaf to speak, to justify its idleness. So, they can no longer bring about the spell of remembering. Um... They don't have the strength to do that. They don't have the memory or the history or the legend to do that. These other things like young people or ignorant people, which kind of then alludes to the, you know, the, the cloud, the stone and the leaf to speak, to justify its idleness to them, to them, it sees, it carries on, it sees what it, it sees what I no longer see. So to this person, this, this uh, skill, this, this ancient past, which seems to them to be something which is almost mythical, is, um, is able to see something which they can, can no longer grasp. It hears what is to that person unheard. They can no longer hear it. Um, and if it could only speak to me, shaping the wonder of a word. So um, if the writer could understand a, its speech or its message, it would, then they would be able to um, capture it in words and put it down uh, on paper. And then it carries on. If it could, if it could speak the ancient spell, then I could, I could dress it in a rhyme and tune it like a village bell, heard down the darkening glade of time. So there's something alluding again to something very, very ancient, lost in time. Something that speaks in an in an ancient tongue. Something which is no longer. Almost like, almost like it's, 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 it's got another language. It's no longer understandable. But if it were understandable, 
and this is what this is what makes it more of a magic quality to this person that they can't quite understand it because it's it's almost like a spell that they can't crack um but if it was brought back uh then the writer wishes to express it in a in a rhyming format and then to tune it like a bell and this is this is perhaps one of the best lines in the poem really that they want to capture that capture that spell to be able to dress it clothe it put it into the frame of a po- of a poem or a or a rhyme or a song and then to tune it to the village bell so to attach it to that droning of the bell and have that being heard down the darkening glade of time so they're able to then make that 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 spell that memory that that ancient legend that mythical thing that they're able to then um make it um so that it it, it can never be forgotten again uh, make it kind of immortal really i suppose in the in the mem- in memory um yeah, for all time, for everybody to hear. So it's attached to that that bell that just keeps on dr- dr- ringing and ringing and ringing. And the last bit of the poem, um, oh, would it speak and would it say and would it try to understand or smile aside and turn away with the small berries in its hand? And there's a question mark there at the end of that sentence on the last sentence. So it's kind of asking a question, you know, would it have those small berries in its hand? Would it, would it, would it be, um, would it be, uh, you know, elusive? Would it really care to to be answering the question that you're at, you're asking of it? If the past, if the past could speak, you know, would it would it be understandable? And what would it be saying? Um, a mistake or a decision that was made. Or just try to understand why we do the things that we do, or would it be indifferent? Would it be indifferent and not really care? Would it turn away with a wry smile and take those gifts, those berries, that it's those insights, those little secrets, those beads of secrets that perhaps could change or spin your own perception of what happened in the past? Would it just keep those in its hand and turn away and keep them for a secret for all time? So that's the poem. And in my, my take on it is that the whole poem is really, is, is, it is expressing the, the kind of the metaphor and the air of, you know, retro, retrospect, retrospective. Maybe there's a kind of spell that can unlock the door to the past allows us to communicate with that, with that which was once alive and flourishing, which was once full of life and promise. Having the having that decipher to to recall and understand the choices that were made and the path, the future, did take. Is is um is like a super superhero's kind of skill, really, isn't it? It's like a, you know, if you if you'd had that ability to see back and to learn something from the past so the poem is 
the poem is uh, never really able to give any kind of concrete answer to answering any mystery or legend or myth or why we get so wrapped up in the past but we do and why we get so embroiled in it and that's the spell I suppose which each of us has to work out for ourselves work through in our own time in our own private thoughts so that's my take on it it's a good it's a nice poem I liked it I liked reading it and I liked taking it apart so that's Retrospect by Ruth Pitter Late Night Poetry from Nick Dreadwell's Storyville This is Nick Treadwell and you are listening to Nick Treadwell's Storyville.